Hi, my name is Chris Candy, and this is the Never Not Run podcast. Or no. <laughs> or do the NNR for This is the Never Not Run podcast. I'm your host, Chris Candy. And I'm Mark Nieto. All right. You want to start it up? I hear that sound. I heard that. Are you cracking a beer? I'm cracking. Yeah, a non-alcoholic athletic brew. So the branding really worked on me. I couldn't help myself. Man, man, what a great way to start a pod. Just, just snap on into it. Yeah. (laughs) Something to quench the (laughs) thirst. Oh my God, Mark, how's it going? What's been going on, dude? I'm doing good. I was just out of town. I was in North Carolina and had a chance to check out some really cool spots out there, some good trails and also uh, the ultra running company store which if you are in Charlotte, North Carolina, you should definitely hit that spot up because it was, uh, are they from, are they from out there? They're from out there. Uh, well this place, I don't know. I don't know if it's a chain or if there's just one, but right. I think it's just the one store, but you walk in and it is like, it's like Mecca for ultra running. There are like belt buckles everywhere from all the big races. They had <laughs> somebody who did bad water. They had their, um, their, their number encased in a big glass, uh, display case with with the shoe this like hoka in the case uh-huh. that they did bad water in so yeah it was just an awesome place uh re- seemed like really cool people people were super friendly and um yeah one of the guys was like oh so you training for anything and i was like yeah i'm training for the yosemite half marathon and just nothing just no you know <laughs> no expression <laughs> i think he was probably thinking like yeah i did that this morning buddy yeah I know it's so like, it's so sad because we get like, you know, we work so hard on these, these races and that, I guess that's the whole part of the and point of the pod is it doesn't matter what you do, but you do come across these people who they like just eat marathons for breakfast at the end of the day, <laughs> you know? And when you go into the community of people who are putting in like 20 mile runs, just casually, you know, you, you do feel a little, um, minuscule compared to their feats. Right. Yeah. Whatever it is, if it's social media or Strava or something like that, it's hard not to compare yourself. But, you know, like I think like what we're going to get into later today, um, you know, I think Aaron and you had a really good conversation about like just how positive it is to get out and do those like short runs. Like just the just the act of being outside is so important and it, you know, and I think that's ultimately what this whole thing has been about. Right. Is us trying to kind of promote the idea that like movement getting outdoors it's just so important to our our well-being no absolutely i i think what i've been thinking of is um you know the barkley marathons are going on as we speak and mm-hmm. um i kind of it's fun you know spend some time we have some posts up on the on the instagram channel um of some photographers who are out there taking photos uh, of the race and you just see some of these people attempting these like incredible feats and you're you're you do kind of realize there's this other stratosphere of of runners but to get you know how how unbelievable that is and how possible that is for for anybody and a lot of people um you know it is equally just important to get out there and keep moving. And, um, one thing I found, like, especially I did interview Aaron Bobro and I'll explain him in a second is that it's just infectious talking about running after every, every pod I've been doing. Um, and every time, you know, you and I, Mark, we talk about it, I just get more excited to get out there and do, do anything. Um, and, uh, you know, like we said, we'll be getting into some training for the, uh, Yosemite half that's coming up in May, but, you know, it's exactly that. Just in, enjoying the the foot race, the uh, the endurance of it, and really the mental runner's high we get from it. Exactly. So today's guest is, um, and this is episode six. Six episode six. That's right. <laughs> <I almost laughs> They're hard to keep five. track of. I know we're on episode six, um, and uh, we've got Aaron Bobro. Aaron is a uh, good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He's an established artist. Um, he works in different forms and materials, but um, outside of his his really, really incredible art career, um, which is actually impressive to say the least, um, he started a uh, design firm and a uh, consulting firm called Windpipe. He's worked for all kinds of various companies from Heron to... Um, outdoor voices uh you know he's he's also consulted with 
companies such as Hoka and Merrill to do various projects. Um, and, you know, again, he's just a tech nerd in regards to uh, gear. And so we get into some really fun conversations about materials and shoes and the progress of running and, and where he finds it in his life. Yeah, I think if you are a gearhead, if you are into the gear at all, then this is going to be the episode for you. And what I really like is that this juxtaposed with the Norwood episode really seems to encompass the spectrum of people that we want to uh, we want to feature on the show. And just, you know, the people that are just like getting out there for exercise and then people like Aaron who are kind of approaching running from like a designer's background or have like a total kind of like very thorough, very deep knowledge of the the technology of like the design of what it takes to get uh, what it takes to build and develop some of this running gear. And so, yeah, it was just really enlightening to hear hear you guys kind of go back and forth about that and even stuff that I never think about. Right. Something like right. he mentioned French versus Italian fit in the shoes and uh, you know, just all the minutia of, of, uh, stuff that, that we take for granted as, as runners, as athletes, as just people. Yeah. It's, it's deep, uh, definitely get a, a cup of tea or a shot of espresso and, uh, sit down with this one because, uh, it, there's a lot of detail you got and, uh, and, and it's, it's amazing. I just really enjoyed doing this one. We recorded it up in his, uh, his uh, bird's nest in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, episode six of the Never Not Run podcast with Aaron Bobbero. Never Not Run podcast. We're going to talk for 44 hours. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Candy, uh, on location at an undisclosed location in the Hollywood Hills, maybe. Um, and I'm here with my good friend, Aaron Bobro. Aaron, um, we say in the pre-interview, is uh, very accomplished at a lot of things. Um, but most importantly, uh, you know, being here, and I can tell you your face, Aaron, you're incredibly uh, detailed and specific and like highly tuned into uh, existence. You are very focused on um, detail in regards to it can go from the coffee you're drinking to the shoes on your feet to the way that you communicate. And uh, I'm just really glad to have you on the show. And, um, you know, we, uh, we have kind of a history that's like oddly matched up into the kind of athletic sports weird world running. Uh, and I want to talk about all of it, but uh, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Chris. <laughs> this is um, my first time being on a podcast. It is. And I'm ecstatic <laughs> and um, I can't wait to uh, get going. Oh yeah, it's already started. Um, we kind of like start all of the shows off um, with like this one question. And um, I'm, I'm curious about your relationship to the mile. What was the first time you ever had to run a mile? Um, and like you're, you know, wh where was that? When was it? High school? Um, break it down. My first mile, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area and I went to kind of a hippie elementary school and I moved to the Burbs to go to high school. And so the first mile that I ran was freshman year of high school at Redwood High uh -huh. in Larkspur, California. I don't remember the time, but for some reason, I think the best time that year was 714. So, but did, I don't think that was the first time. When you're in high school and you're going on to college, like what are you doing like from like a sports angle? Okay, so here's the deal. Yeah. Um, I grew up playing basketball. Okay. I got cut from the basketball team on my birthday, freshman year of college, or of, sorry, of high school. Right. At Redwood High School. Um, I kept playing basketball. I made JV. I actually made varsity eventually, um, but I started skating and um, I got really into like, well, I was always into sneakers since I was born, but I started working at sneaker stores and um, I guess collecting sneakers sure. to resell. So um, and then 
senior year, I was asked to be the goalie for the water polo team. Really? And so I became the starting goalie of the water polo <laughs> team. And it was insane. We had double days. And I guess I should have probably... Growing up, I was like, <clears throat> my dad tried to get me to play tennis because he played tennis. Okay. Uh, I played baseball and I was pretty good at like racket sports, not so good at basketball. Right. I mean, I was good, but like I thought I was better than I was. Right. And same with skateboarding. Um, so I sort of shied away from the sports that I had natural inclination for, which um, maybe some of the listeners can relate to. Oh, I wanted to be really good at hockey, right? And I was terrible at it. You know, yeah. big, gr growing up Canadian, you know, hockey is like a big part of like the DNA. Right. And I, I remember like one day, I think it was the last like hockey practice I ever had in the third grade. They let me play goalie. And that was like the most fun because you get to wear all the gear. You're right. And I sucked. I was right. so bad. And, um, and that's even the same with skateboarding. I'm like not good at skateboarding. You know, I'm like, I can do it. You know, I can roll around. Sure, same. But, but I was never, you know, like going up and doing like, you know, nine stairs or handrails or anything like that. Like I was just like trying to get my like board to slide along like a curb or like right. a, a low ledge. <laughs> like yeah. that was usually yeah. my world. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, maybe 180 to six stair. And I, I got a really good heel flip. That was about it. Do you find that like, because I, I feel like I've talked to you about like sneakers and I think skateboarding is like really, I mean, that's where it starts, right? Like, sure. Like the, like the earliest skate shoes, I think like really dictate where like my like desire for a lot of aesthetics come from. I constantly like look at things and they remind me of like the Costin S color scheme or like, you know, this is as ugly, of, you know, or like even like as how like prolific, like the, like I didn't wear circus cause circus were like, so like they were, so I didn't wear circus. We didn't in Northern California, there was not a lot of like shorties, muska, circa love, love. The thing with like the first circa was the color scheme was really crazy it was gr the gray with red. Yes. Like it was just like, it stood out to me and like the zipper was very prominent. Like it was an aggressive zipper. Like right. the whole like tongue. Were they doing double tongues also? No, that was, that was Muska's um, S, -shoot. S shoot. And I love that. With the teardrop Ollie pad. Yes, exactly. And the original Velcro weed stash. Yes, that's yeah. like the, and it was really puffy. I think yeah. I had. The Navy with the white. That's the, what exactly what it's I was going to say. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, even like when we were talking about, um, I think I was talking to you about on running shoes and they were like nice enough to send Mark and I a couple pairs. Cool. And they've been like really fun to try out and run around in a very like well-made shoe. They remind me of Savier, which was like Nike's. Wow. Yeah, which was like Nike's like attempt at skateboarding. I think didn't Nike own them? So they did own Savier, Savier, Savier. Yeah, I think this was the same era as Vita skate shoes. Yes. started by Dill and Nodis. Yes, that's right. And then there was also Sheep. Do you remember Sheep? Sheep. That was Ed Templeton's company. He had a company called Sheep. Maybe that was like only like a SoCal thing. I don't remember Sheep so much, but I do remember the transition out of that into like force mm -hmm. and creative wreck. And then the whole Nike SB, the first Nike SB right. thing that I, I think about a lot these days with the popularity of dunks reemerging. Um, I just wonder if people sort of know about the Richard Mulder, the Gino, right. Um, whatever the other two were. The Reese Danny Forbes, Supa the, the and Supa. Reese yeah. The 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 uh, which one? The all denim one was really nice. I think that was a Nodis one, or maybe that was Reese Forbes. Was or no? Reese Forbes was the wheat one. Reese Forbes was wheat. Danny Supa was the Knicks colorway. Richard was the white. all white with the sort of cyan, mm -hmm. and then Gino had the best color, which was the perforated. Um, was it perforated navy yes, it with a, the black suede and the gray yeah. swoosh? I, that was the first pair That's I had. That's one of the best shoes of all time. Yeah, the perforated is like, 
Un, is really unbelievable. It's also a really buttery shoe. It is a buttery shoe. This was also the time of the first, um, what we call them, like the baseball mitt ones. But oh. They were like that brown leather. Well, there remember? was the Carhartt, and then there was also, um, oh yeah, that one was uh, the baseball mitt. It was a high top, right? Yeah, it was a high top. The one. wheat. That the was wheat, or there was another word for it, but it's escaping me. Well, I I think like for for skate shoes, like. Yeah, so then from there you get into like when are you what when's the transition for you because like I've seen you over the years um like experimenting with all different types of like shoes, right? And right. that like makes total sense as right. we get older. So, you know, I guess to answer your first question, I remember being in Sears in Oakland, California with okay. my mom um around the time of the earthquake and I remember her putting like saddle shoes on me and being like, I want wee box. <laughs> so I think I've had, I've, I think I've had the bug for a long time. And I grew up spending a lot of time with my mom and my mom likes to shop. And so <clears throat> I basically spent a lot of time at Ross, Marshall's, TJ Maxx, Macy's, Nordstrom's rack, waiting for my mom to come out of like Talbot's outlet or something. <laughs> and so I think my first interest in sneakers sort of came from like, okay, well I'm here. I'm going to check all this stuff out. And I, right. just, I just remember going into stores and just like when I was really young and just like touching the Adidas torsion system on the bottom or, you know, understanding Zoomer differently or sure the dots of the alpha project or all of these sort of like the different contours and textures and shape and form of, of footwear, I think became an obsession for me and the tactility of it um, triggers different times and memories and, and sort of as you, as you, yeah, it was just, um, I mean, for a lot of people in our generation, I mean, I think, 85, which is my birth year, was the first year of the Jordan. Right. So um, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, every year there was a new Jordan. You know, it was pre-social, so there were no color-ups. It was pre-ID, you know, so there was no customization. You were really at the mercy of the designers. And, and I think that era, you know, early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s was sort of the peak of industrial design and sneakers. Right. And you have a lot of form over function, but to a young consumer, you think that the form is function. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and it wasn't until many moons later that my vantage point on, on footwear sort of evolved to be ruthless. <laughs> yeah. I had this period, we're close to age, I had this period where I was into, I started getting into running, but I would never consider myself a runner. Like I lost like a ton of weight running when I was in my like early twenties. Right. And I didn't really know what shoes to buy. Right. I didn't know how it worked. I was so like accustomed to skateboarding culture and like mild surf culture that like, I was like aware of like picking the wrong thing, you know, like, sure. like I thought like that, that, you know, cause like, those cultures are so clicky, especially at that time. Like they're not as clicky anymore now, maybe surfing is, but like, I didn't realize like how inviting, right? Like the running world was, or like just maybe athletics period. Um, but do you remember, like, did you have a period like that when you were in your early twenties and you started running or doing anything like that? Or if, if not, then when was the beginning where you started saying to yourself, like I'm running now? So, okay. The beginning of running is long winded, but I'll sort of speed Please. it up. I didn't like running. Uh, I was more of like a long distance kind of guy. Sure. Not a lot of fast twitch. Um, I grew a lot at weird times. So I'd have shin splints and like speed was never my thing. Right. Endurance more so. Um, and I grew up, my parents would always try to make me go hiking, but I, I wasn't interested. I just wanted the sneakers. Yeah. I just wanted to like go, you know, to the mall or go skate or hang out with my friends or whatever. And then throughout college, I skated, didn't really run or do much except for like 
party and learn. Yeah. Um, and that pretty much goes to my early twenties. I think I started running actually, I started running in 2012. Okay. Um, maybe 11, which is when, um, I started following Arsenal. Okay. And I bought, I think I had a pair of a six Keanu 13, maybe 12, maybe 14. They were like the shiny red with white mesh pearlescent. I bought them at the basement sale rack at Paragon. And I remember getting my friend brought me back a pair of Arsenal shorts from London. Okay. And I remember getting really excited about wearing the Arsenal shorts with the running shoes. Um, because I think I found the endurance of the the soccer athletes to be something that probably would be good to balance out. It's incredible. The late nights. And so I started running, but I still smoked cigarettes at that time. Okay. And I was pretty exhausted. So, you know, a mile under nine was pretty exciting. Sure. And New York, the distances weren't that big. You know, I never really did above three or four, maybe five, maybe max seven miles. Right, right, right. Um, and I kept running, you know, once a week. Um, but it wasn't until I guess I quit drinking about five years ago when I started really getting into running right and um yeah channeling my energy into something else that i could control that um you know i've never gone for a run that i regret that's the truth man it's hard sometimes to start them sure but once you get going um i've never regretted going for a run and there's very few things that i can say speak that confidently and that succinctly about, and that's one of them. Yeah. So I found it to be. Um, I feel like with running, really like, exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Yeah, I agree. That's like for me is like I can confidently say if I'm having a bad day, I will feel completely different if I go on just a three mile run. I'll feel so much better on the other side of that run whatever is bothering me in the funk is gone. It melts away because there's something that happens to me around like 2.38 where I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm, I I can just keep going. And it's so addictive in that manner. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's really at the risk of sounding cliche, I think one of the most important things to get our country healthier we could do is to teach at a young age in public school that the mind is the same thing as the body. Sure. And there's no disconnection. Yeah. So uh, it's, you, you know, what you eat, how you train, if you train, how you move, all of that stuff affects your mood and your anxiety and your cortisol and all of that stuff. So for me, somebody who mm, does have anxiety and my mind's, sometimes moves at a lot faster than I can articulate. Sure. Um, When I run, the motion, the locomotion releases things that I'm procrastinating and allows this sort of web of ideas and relationships and even logistical stuff um, just shakes out. Right. And when I'm running, tackling, thinking about something that perhaps has been giving me a little bit of stress, when I run, I'm able to work through it in 30 seconds. And I'm just, the answer is very obvious when I'm moving at that speed. And when my heart rate is that high, it's like you're, because you can't stop or, you know, I don't like stopping. It's sort of like a, it's like a homeostasis of, fight or flight. Mm-hmm, so like it's mm-hmm. a calmer fight or flight, Yeah, but yeah. you're, you don't, you don't have that. Like you can make decisions about, um, it, it's just clearer. Right. My thinking is a lot clearer and right. I'm not allowed the luxury of putting things in different boxes. Right. Like everything just shakes out. Yeah. And, um, there's not a lot of things that you can do 
Yeah, that, that's really beneficial to me. And it, it's also, I think, you know, New York is like a walking city. Sure. And the sidewalk is the the pulse of New York City. It's right. the egalitarian threshold where where everybody's rubbing shoulders. So when you're running there, it you know, I found it to be really kind of exciting and invigorating and you get to see the city from different perspectives and you know you get to access it in a, in a different way and in LA it's it's a whole different trip running in the city because of how big it is and vast and right the sidewalk isn't so much um doesn't function in the same way the road does um but it does have the mountains and that is a whole different trip yeah, I've known you in LA to be like a big Angelus Crest guy in regards to just like you showing me new zones up there that I'd never even been to um, and like going on some like trails and and then funny enough, like we'd be like on like a trail run and I'd be kind of gassed and I'm like, where are we going? And you're like, I have no idea. I've never done this before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you have like a confidence and like almost a uh, comfortability with, with the Angelus Crest, uh, which is like really, really amazing because it just, uh, it feels so backyard to you. I've been coming to Los Angeles, I think since college. Um, my college girlfriend was from here. So, you know, we, we start, we would go back here for the holiday or something and I never looked at those mountains before. Right. You know, for 15 years. And then I, I forget when it was like visiting, I think at some point in 2017 or 18, I went up there for the first time and I was just like, oh my goodness, like the chaparral, you know, the two to um, the burnouts with the Subis and the WRXs and the Porsches and the Pinarellos right. and the BMCs and the BMWs and the cycling and the cars and, and all of it and how, you know, it was kind of the first um, in-town park built for the suburbs and exploration by motor vehicles. So it it's a pretty unique place right. and I think it's slept on and I hope it keeps being slept on. But uh, we won't tell you how to get there. We won't tell you how to get there. <laughs> Just take the two. And um, yeah, I don't know. I love it up there. It's... Uh, you can just get lost and get back home before dinner time. Yeah, I've really enjoyed exploring up there. I was actually just up there yesterday. It was really beautiful. There's snow and yeah, it's an amazing place. Yeah, LA is like always like amazed me and its ability to just constantly put you in awe. Um, and running and uh, and trail runs are really great ways to like view a lot of it. And like I, I just... It, it it ends up you know these these pathways that have been here for years and years and years before us like revisiting them on your feet uh, is really fun you know I love like with running where it's like I'm my own car like I don't right. I, I can kind of like go anywhere like if totally. I if I really wanted to you know even what I'm wearing right now I could I could get to Santa Monica it would hurt but I could do it you know and. Well, can we stop there just for one yeah. second and, and do a tangent? Sure. Um, I do work in apparel. Yeah. And I do love gear. Yeah, I know. More than most. I also run in Dickies cut off short sometimes. Right. And I prefer that. And I think when you run and you run enough to where your body says, I'm achy. Yeah. I'm on my third pair of shoes in four months. Right. You know, I'm choosing this over hanging out with my friends. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is more valuable to me than, you know, going to an opening or going out for dinner or whatever. I, I want to be here when the sun goes down. I want to be here when the coyotes come out. I want to be right. here when the light changes, you know, and you start to realize that you need very, very little in order to access trail running or running in general. Anybody can run in anything. And yeah. when that's what also what I love about it. And I love the high-end gear. I run in the Nike 4%, you know, whatever. So, but I also like that you, you can also just do it whenever you want with nothing. And there's, there's not a lot of sports like snowboarding or, yeah. you know, cycling, even basketball. You got to have the Jays or, 
or the surfboard or, you know, the independent trucks or the Swiss or the, um, you know, the Burton AK or um, whatever. Running is really like a commitment to not stop moving your body one foot in front of the other. And it doesn't really have a regard for anything else except for the commitment to like create locomotion. <laughs> yeah. And that's really beautiful to me. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it comes up every once in a while here, but that is like definitely for Mark and I, like one of the main things we very much dig about it is, you know, like I, I think I remember one time a friend of mine was having like a friend of mine, his father passed away and they were, it was like very all of a sudden. And I remember um, I might've brought this up on the, the, the show before, but um, it was like, I found out like on a Friday with like crazy rush hour traffic a bunch of people were getting together down in Redondo Beach to have like drinks. Yeah. And I was living in mid city and it was like pre pandemic. It was like, oh, like we're, it's, I'm going to be sitting in traffic for two hours to get down there. Right. And I was like, well, I have four hours to kill. Like I might as well just run down there. And I did. I just like got, put a backpack on and had my shoes and like brought a change of clothes and fortunately had a shower to use down there. And I just, did it. Oh, those showers. That's a wild run. Do you remember when I called you after I did that random 18 on a Sunday? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that really briefly. Yeah. Like, so I get a phone call from Aaron and he, you, you just, you went for it. Yeah. I went for it. I was, I just need, I hadn't run in like a week. And when I first moved here, cause it was the pandemic, I was just running all the time. My times were like crazy. I mean, crazy for me. And I was running a lot. I was putting in the miles and I was just like, you know, I've never run on the West side. I'm going to, I love El Porto yeah. uh, so much for body surfing. And I just like El Porto because there's like the desal plant, the airport, uh -huh, uh -huh. like it's just all my stuff. And um, I was just, I'm going to run. And something about running, which is also interesting is like, it's kind of like driving a car. Mm -hmm. You know, for me now, like the first three miles, I don't really feel anything. I run really slow. I'm like pretty trash. Yeah. Around mile six, the engine turns on. Right. And so there I just kept looking at the Palos Verde. So I was running south and I was like, I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going to keep going there. I keep going there. I keep going. I run through all that crazy shit. Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's maybe an aquarium there. There or, is. Yeah. Um, families, all that kind of stuff, just kept running and running. And then when I got to the end of it, I was like, uh-oh, I got to go back. <laughs> and man, I was gassed by the end of it. And for the listeners too, just so you know, like- Oh, my dog was in the back of the car. Oh no. Well, the window was down, but she she was definitely antsy, but she was she was a baby at the time. If you've ever run in the, the beach community of SoCal, um, you know, in the Santa Monica area, if you look down south, you will see like like a jetting out area where basically it seems as if the cove, the beach, whatever you want to call it, ends. And that is where Aaron ran to. It's basically the end of the strand path, the bike path. Um, you yeah, know, it's the end of the Venice Beach boardwalk. Yeah, right? it just ends there. So to get to that place, you have to go through. And that's an interesting thing. I remember actually I, I, I did... Uh, to name drop Sam Griesmer yet again for his bachelor party. Hi, Sam. We did a, um, we did a long walk from that place up to um, uh, Dockweiler Beach, which is yep. kind of where you started. Yep. But on a tangent, on a side note, those communities are so strange. Yeah, they are like, strange. The like, architecture down there on the beach, boy. Whoo! It's like bonkers. Ooh, that's another episode. Yeah, that's a totally other episode. But I know that like when you're when you're in a long run, like something that like is visually upsetting can really hit you hard. Um, and and if something like a building is too confusing, <laughs> I find like I have to be fed like baby food visually. Mm -hmm. You know, beautiful beaches or you know just interesting like visuals or nature. But once I see like the postmodern like Frank Gary, yeah, turquoise glass, you know, Florida, Glassed in, uh, fake fireplaces outdoor, a little, uh, 
I think, gray Pergo. Yeah, I I really like the Red Bull Hut. You know, I really I get I want to puke. It it really uh, assaults me in a, a very specific way. Unlike if I just walked by it. You know, if you're at mile thirteen of a, a thing like that, um, it it really plays. <laughs> There was this place, there still is, it's called, I think, The Shed. It's over in Marina del Rey. Uh, or the, sh- I think it's The Shed or The Shack. Or It looks insane. And every time I'd run by it on my 20-mile training run, it would bother me like to high hell because I would just, it visually just in- insul- assaulted me. I wanted to pivot because like I wanted to get into kind of where you are now and, and, and a bit of how you got there. But um, let's go and like start talking about windpipe and exactly what windpipe is. What is your kind of um, idea for it and, and, and how's it doing? Windpipe at first was defined by what it wasn't. Okay. I work with different apparel companies and, you know, providing design and creative direction and consulting. And so Windpipe was is the name of that agency. Yes. Recently, you know, we shot some editorial, we dropped some product, we have, you know, a couple collaborations coming up. We have new product coming out this year um, as its own brand. And then on the agency side, um, we're still working with, you know, a few, a few different clients um, in the apparel world. But um, where Windpipe came from, so while we're on a podcast, right? (laughs) Yeah. So we both like to talk. Exactly. Some people have said, uh, I'm full of hot takes. I didn't really know what that meant until I moved to Los Angeles because in New York, everything is a hot take. People have thicker skin. But out here, there's not that many hot takes. So where did Windpipe start? I I started training jujitsu in either the end of 2018 or the very, very top of 2019. I think it was maybe it was earlier in 18 at Clockwork in Manhattan above the Wendy's on Broadway and Bleecker. Okay. And I remember my first class, <clears throat> it was rear naked choke day. And I remember just giving my neck up, just getting choked relentlessly like 25 times. And, um, I couldn't talk Hmm. and, and everyone, Oh, you have jujitsu strep. It's like beginner's class. You know, you'll never get that again. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'll never get that again. I'm never giving my neck up. What's training. What is this? You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But what was being compressed, um, was my windpipe. Got it. And it was this word that not only being corporal, um, part of the body, but also, you know, it serves many different functions. It has a, you know, wind, which has patterns, but is erratic and also creates sound. And then pipe, which is, you know, a formal object that when constructed plays music or makes sounds. It also um, moves around fluids like water, sewage, oil, um, soda into your mouth all sorts of different stuff. You know, (laughs) we got a lot of different pipes. And for me, you know, connecting the natural with perhaps the industrial, like a steel pipe was, um, it just, it was a word that it snapped, it fit. I hadn't heard it used before. And going back to the jujitsu thing, it really taught me to shut my mouth. Um, or at least appreciate being able to use my words and which I think jujitsu does in a lot of different ways, but um, that's where the name came from. What are the, um, for you, like within running and jujitsu, cause I did want to talk about jujitsu. Um, what is the shared experience and what puts them both in like their unique categories? Well, running is like excellent training for all kinds of sports, anything. Sure. Especially for combat sports. Right. Which are so cardio based because you're engaging every part of your body and fight or flight. Right. Um, 
And they also teach you how to be calm while still moving. Right. So there's a lot of overlap in that. Um, and I, I can't think of two things that like go better together than like running and training jujitsu because when when I do still get the runs in and training, I mean, my week is so much different. Um, so I think they kind of feed off of each other for me. Yeah, I always, I never trained jujitsu, um, but I was always impressed with like what came along with jujitsu in regards to, you know, you have to black out at some point, you know, that, you know, what is it? Tap or snap? Is yeah. It like you-, you just have to like sort of get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You know, when your right knee starts hurting at mile 7.5, yeah. you can like stop and stretch for a while, or you can kind of see if you can pretend that you don't feel it. Yeah. And both work and both are successful yeah. and you can usually hang in there for a lot longer than you think you can. Right. And I think both have taught me um, about balance and about exertion. You know, it's like if you give someone your arm in jujitsu, they're going to put you in an arm bar in two seconds and snap your arm. If you run, say you're doing a 20 in Death Valley and you sprint the first mile, you may die. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. there's there's this kind of extreme um, valuation of risk management and energy resource conservation that I think um, is in direct dialogue between two of those practices. And it's something along with speaking and using words efficiently and using language efficiently, I think for me, those are really important things um, that I want to continue building the brand around for Windpipe. Now, in the past, um, like when we kind of reconnected, and I've known Aaron for a long time, um, but I know when we reconnected, I was really into running and I was really appreciative because you sent me a pair of uh, outdoor voices hokas you sent me these clifton fours yes and uh when i kind of reconnected with you was that well i'd reconnected with you many times but i remember very specifically we were in colombia at our friend carlos Moreira's wedding who got and, me into jujitsu yeah who is is a really really dear friend to both of us um and you were wearing hokas and right. I, I remember kind of like i was wearing hokas pre-deckers they were the early, they were the, the last batch. From the French Deck- company? They yeah. were the French ones, yeah. yeah. The gray and black with the gray midsole and that sort of like purpley blue. Yeah, I bought those on Hawaii, actually. They Yeah. I had like a running store by the airport on Maui. Really? Yeah. Man, yeah. There used to be a really great running store in uh, Kailua that's not there anymore called B-Fit Kailua. And I remember I went back out there uh, last summer to try and like, you know, running stores are cool because they're just like basically little huts with like yeah. a bunch of sneakers and j- goos inside of them. Like not much to sell. And it was gone. Like uh, one sock brand. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that's what I, I, I mean, to kind of come full circle with it though, like um, you were working for OV and then, um, and then you start windpipe, but I, I want. No, let's go back to OV. At OV, um, shout out to Ty and Tiffany and Teddy yeah, and all the people that I worked with there. Um, we, we were getting in, you know, they had already been in talks with Hoka and, and, and we pushed that forward. We did, you know, a few different models, Bondi B, Clifton four. Um, and then we did the Merrill. The Merrill uh, was a beautiful which was the Moab, shoe. which was the first time that, that, that shoe had been, I guess, looked at in a contemporary, through a contemporary lens. Um, You know, it was pretty fun going to Grand Rapids and getting to augment like the gusset and the insole. Right. The liner, change the Vibram, uh, you know, thing from yellow to black, do a dusted sole, 3M laces, all the little, all the little stuff that you're sort of able to do without affecting the mold. Um, and working in the industry, doing collaborations, a lot of people don't know this, but you can't just make custom product all the time because like creating new molds for stuff caught is a significant investment. Right. And so a lot of times you just play within the existing um, 
confines of of the model and you know tweak it as best you can but that was a cool project um there were a couple others that were unrealized that we got really far in that um were cool too um I found it interesting too. You were talking about um, soccer shorts, and one of the projects I remember you did do was a soccer short. Yeah, we did a we did a soccer short, and instead of the checkerboard, um, we wove the it's sort of like an old umbro block, and we wove the pattern of the jacquard to be based off of like pictures of of solar panels, um, and sort of that blue, yeah. almost like mica camouflage and stuff. And and that was a that was a pretty cool shoot. We got to shoot it in in New York with Issa. Um, yeah, that was a fun project for sure. Yeah, I, I what and like I know you mentioned it with Merrill, but like a company like um, like Hoka, you go to them and do they kind of say we want to do like this shoe? We're trying to rebring this shoe back in or. Did you kind of have access to the catalogs and kind of could go, well, I'm actually really interested in like the, you did the Clifton four, obviously. Um, is that how the process goes or, or do they kind of come to you and say, we're kind of like wanting to reinvigorate. Like I know Nike does that, like Nike will and like streetwear say like to union, for example, a store in Los Angeles, they'll be like, Hey, we're like redoing the Cortez. Like, do, can we do a Cortez colorway for union and, and kind of do a limited thing? I think each interaction between collaborating brands is different. Okay. Um, this is a, a, we could talk about this for a really long time. I know. But what I will say is um, a lot of times collaborations are born out of companies wanting to exchange their contacts, you know, the email list sure. and share the data. Sure. I'll also say that with the rise of Instagram, I think sort of gave the validity for um, or the proof through like the images that were showing up of of a lot of brands sitting on huge archives of desirable product from the 80s and the 90s and mm-hmm. the early 2000s. And I think prior to that, collaborations, especially in a pe- athletic and athleisure and lifestyle, um, a, in my experience, uh, footwear companies would often want want to collaborate with a lifestyle shoe or a hybrid shoe that they thought was the big opportunity. But now we're starting to see that all of the opportunities um, are different and the retroing of stuff or bringing something back or, you know, access to the archive, that stuff, I think, especially after um, Virgil's 10 project and um, a few other collaborations, just like opening opening the archive up to people became more of an industry norm. I think at the beginning it was like, you know, a lot of like shoe companies and collaborative apparel companies are, are quite isolated from the zeitgeist prior to, prior to like peak IG algorithm days. So they, a lot of times, you know, somebody might not understand why you're appreciating or you're fetishizing about, you know, the 1994 air up and like the blue, like, you know, PVC, like reveal font, you know, or what, (laughs) whatever it is, you know, there's, they don't find value in that. And I think that, you know, now you have baby boomers wearing Jordan ones, Dana White's wearing Jordan ones, you know, you go down to Austin or Pasadena or Marina Del Rey, and there's a bunch of dudes in their fifties wearing like dunks. And it's like really weird but I think the retroing thing is pretty wide open now. And it wasn't always that yeah. way. Yeah, like a company like Hoka or or um Ultra or On for that matter, or you know, they're not gonna go to their 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 silhouettes or their 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 models from like fifteen years ago because they're like, why would we wanna bring that back? You know, there's it's like this joke also in the running community, but it's like you know, you get a really great Clifton, for example, and then they just, you know, they're at the Clifton nine now, maybe they just keep redoing it. Right. And, you know, I remember reading on blogs like Clifton one's the shoe. Everyone loves Clifton one. And and it wasn't until I ran in it that I got why people loved Clifton one. And I was like, oh yeah, it's got everything you want out of a Hoka, but it's got a very thin tongue. It tightens on the foot really well. 
Um, and it's a way different ride than when you're on like, you know, the Clifton, I think that I, the, the one, I think you guys did the fours. I think, I I think skipped, they did threes too. I think they did do threes. I think they did fours. They definitely they did Bondi B's. Yeah, they did. And all I know is that in the running community isn't thought to go back to those until now. And I think they're getting a little bit of that flash of like, oh, actually maybe we do have something good. Yeah. I mean, I think that these are like pretty big, exciting sort of footwear um, tributaries to paddle down uh-huh. is seamless yep. and the invention of seamless, yep. which started with Nike free and EVA and the stacked laser cut EVA that Hoka sort of has made famous and sort of changed and Right. put the industry on its head. Um, I mean, there's just a lot to talk about, like fit. Everybody's foot is different. Um, yeah, what do you think? You're, you're a runner who runs in hokas and ultras occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you looking for right now in a running shoe? Um, I think for me it is, I, I like the shoe to be light on the foot. Light. Um, and you know, I like, I run in no socks, no socks. I kind of like have this connection with running where I don't want to be thinking about my shoes. Right. And so, um, but I also want to have the benefit, you know, I'm like a 250 pound dude, you know, who's like clonking around and I can't really, I can do a, like a, an ultra and that feels great. But you know, when you go on those longer runs, it's nice to have the cushioning of a Hoka. Yeah, I always felt like with Nike, um, they have great shoes. Yeah, um, but I just felt like the the fit on the foot was narrow on me. I don't know how else to put yeah. it. The coverage. Yeah, you know, I'm interested in these Adidas Audi fours. I think they're uh, they're like a they're kind of like the answer to the free and the Hoka. You know, that we had this guy. Um, well, not on this pod, but as a friend of mine, this guy, Paul Middleman, who designed for Adidas. Oh yeah, he's a big deal. Big deal, old school Stussy guy. And he was telling me, he's like, I was down at the end of the LA Marathon. I was just like looking around and I called my friends at Adidas and I was like, no one's wearing your shoes. <laughs> you know, everyone, everyone's wearing Hocus down here. But didn't they develop the boost midsole? They did. Oh, 100%. You know, it's, it, and the continental outsole. The, Adidas's contribution to running and footwear is like, Unbelievable. But isn't Adidas like kind of like a high level fast guy niche shoe? That's what that it is. Like so, some people swear by that one model. That's the one I'm talking about. Like that shoe, That's I like think, the holds to the Nike streak. I think that that shoe holds the fastest world record. Yeah, right it does. Now. So again, it's like it, it all comes down to preference, right? And that's just what I'm looking for. I, my eyes have been kind of like peeking at Brooks again recently. Interesting. Which is totally weird because they were kind of like for some reason, like a Nordstrom's mom shoe. But I'm just curious, you know, I, I was starting to see more people like wear like Izod shirts and Brooks. Yeah. So I was kind of like, not sure where they were. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people wear on. I'm seeing a lot of people wear on who also just like the look of them. Um, Do they have investment from a Swiss bank? Because they're a um, Swiss company. I am not sure how they have seem like they have infinite resources. They do. Um, I know they've been in the game for a minute. I remember the last time I was at, uh, uh, what's that uh, that running store uh, out in Ber- Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet. When I was out in Fleet Feet, uh, one of the lovely assistants who helped me out there uh, was a big Hoka guy um, who actually spotted our friend Dan, who was on episode two of the show, uh-huh. um, in the Outdoor Voices uh, all-white rainbow laces. Oh, Jim loved those. those he are, asked for so many pairs of yeah. those. He, um, the, 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 the assistant at, at Fleet Feet, like, like crooned over those, but later told me that he actually was really into on so that, you know, it all comes down to preference. It comes down to what you're looking for. That's just me. Um, and I go back and forth between Hoka and Ultra. I, I think Ultra is a really interesting shoe too. Um, you know, but for me that, that, that's, that's where I'm at. What about you? Whew. Well, here's, here's where I'm at. Um, I've been running in Solomon, I think they're XT4. No, first it was XT Quest. 
That was my favorite trail running shoe of all time. Right. And I didn't learn. I learned very late, like last year. I don't know who I was talking to, but I learned that that was actually a hybrid of two different shoes. Really? That was conceived in a retro fashion moment by the broken arm in Paris. So my, I always like, I like the idea of being able to, if you're taking a fashion collab, you can run in it if it's a running shoe. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget like a good friend of mine, Devin, uh, he used to be a graffiti writer and he would write in Jordan ones and in Supreme Jordan ones and just like, didn't care, Yeah, you know, and just whatever. And I was just like, this is the coolest guy ever, you know? So I would always just be like, oh, well, these are like fancy from Paris. I ordered them on Essence. I moved to LA. I'm going to run in these things until they, they don't work anymore. And I'll tell you why I like them. They fit really, really, really good. They right. fit my foot. Uh, I don't have as narrow of a foot as a La Sportiva, which is Italian fit, which is the most narrow, which comes from climbing. And then there's French fit, which is uh, Solomon. And that's a little bit wider. Uh, it has that lacing, you know, their patented draw cord lacing system. Yep. And it also has the 4D chassis, which I want to talk a lot about. That chassis, like for me, I'm being kind of gangly. Um, I'm six foot five and, you know, kind of a string bean. And I need all of the like stability that I can get, especially when running up hills on uneven terrain. And I found that that heel cup really, really locks my foot in and it didn't move. And I could, you know, like when you're skating, you don't want to be skating in a hoka because you want to feel your yeah, skate. Course. You want to feel the board and the grip tape. I like being able to feel the rocks underneath me sure. and to be able to dig in the balls of my feet and my toes and propel myself off of it. And as much as my knees now want me to go back to hokas and or ultras, I find that the quality, the finishing between a Solomon and X another brand is still substantial. Sure. So I'm at this impasse where I don't know exactly what to do. In fact, I started following this brand. I don't know if they follow the pod, but if they do, please send us some shoes to test. Yes. I think they're Canadian and they're called Norda. 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 Okay. And they, I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, they're talking a big game and it looks like they got laser cut upper. They got the Dyneema outward facing language on the fabrics. And they got, I think the outsole looks very similar to the first Under Armour trail running shoe with the Michelin logo. Um, Google that. Oh yeah, I've seen and, that one. <laughs> um, I'm kind of curious to try these Nordas because I'm with you, Chris. My knees really want a little bit more cushioning than the Solemn is, is offering. And they've made comps to the Hoka's um, and I've tried them and I, I returned like seven pairs of trail running shoes last year just to test. I tried the new Ultra one, all the new Solomon, yeah. the ones that Rich Roll was running in, all these, all these different shoes. And I guess for me, the most important thing is how they fit. Yeah. That's really it. I agree. I think. Um... And durability. Definitely. And, 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 and you have to like it, you know, you, it's like the, it's your, it's, it's what, it's what's going to be getting you out there. I was talking to, um, Olson mm -hmm. and he was talking about, um, he just bought a pair of like the sandal running shoes and he's really like, I'm like hopping around in those. Wait, things. what are the, are those called shaman I can't or mo mom shaman he, or barefooting or something like that? He, he, he swears by him. Wait, did he get zero shoes? I think he got the zeros. Yeah. The guy who puts like a pound of coconut oil in his hair before he shoots no, his ads every day. <laughs> we love you, Alex. Um, no, not Alex. The guy from Zero Shoes. Oh, that guy? <laughs> I thought you were talking about Alex. No, no. Uh, it could be. It could be. I'll have to check in. Um, he, we were talking about what, those shoes. Okay, here, here's a question. Uh, you ever been on the trail or on the path for that matter <laughs> and seen someone roll up barefoot running? Just like, you know, they got calves the size of a bazooka and they're just running. No, I always at LA. What's, the, what's your feeling with running barefoot in public places? I always see um, 
at LA marathon people running barefoot. And, um, I see not to fully quote Goggins, but I see people hurting mm-hmm. Goggins. So famously said, I see a lot of people with broken fucking feet too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have witnessed that. Um, I think that, um, I think that if that's what you want to do, then do it. You know, it's totally doable. Um, I see people in Elysian park doing it. Yeah. And I think it's like absolutely insane. Yeah. I think that, have you ever heard of something called plantar fasciitis? (laughs) When I was a, when I was a young lad, uh, I had Legos and they were hidden in the pile of the carpet. And I remember the sound and the feeling of like nerves crunching on my heel. Right. And like having to wear like orthotics for three years. And I'm just like, what about like your extremities and like protecting your joints and stuff? Like we're not all liver king. Yeah. You know, we, we bring it up often in the podcast, but I think anyone who's running barefoot should, um, see a physician. <laughs> they should just, they should look into it a little deeper and see if it's really something for them. But you know, I know that people, you know, I have done barefoot beach running. That's a whole different game. Oh yeah. That we're talking about. And, and, that, and that's a whole different workout, but um, I just, I don't know. The, the ultra Escalante uh-huh. two is the closest thing I'll get to it. And, uh, I, I am enjoying that shoe quite a bit. Um, I've, I've had two pairs of those and the ones that I kind of alternate in and out of, I, I've been really liking right now. I feel like if you're, if you are supplementing your, your running regime with working out in a gym and you want to opt for some, uh, thin shoes. Sure. As we're calling them now. <laughs> they're, they're thin. thin shoes. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because like you don't want to lose a toenail dropping the kettlebell. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Um, and even just that that little thinness can, you know, save you from serious injury. Um, but out there, I- I'm not there. I mean, I don't know. I'm just not there. I need a little bit more cushioning. And I probably would have stuck with Asics and Brooks, except for they all switched to Seamless. And when Seamless happened, the support system in all of those shoes evaporated. And it would just be like one heel counter and a bunch of mesh and then one like EVA, you know, one piece midsole. There was, there was no counters anymore. There right. were no carbon shanks. There was no stability. And there there. Uh, there was no, there was like maybe too much breathability sometimes running in New York, you know, at that time where I was living is like, maybe you don't want your shoe to be like a hundred percent breathable year round. Yeah. Yeah. You get some really like wild stuff in there. I don't think they audited the consumer when they switched to seamless. Now it does save the environment and it does um, increase the margins substantially for the footwear maker because they're not having to, uh, you know, hit minimums for materials. They're just making what they need. Um, that was an interest. I mean, that was a major, major, major shift. Yes. And everyone's doing it now. Yeah. Um, and it, it does change the complete game of the shoe. Um, but it, uh, like you said, if it, it you know, w- we can get into this, but you know, the, the waste element for making all of these things is pretty hot. And um, I think anything to kind of counter that moving forward is a good thing. Yeah. And I think that as we're starting to see coming out of the pandemic, um, they are adding more support systems, more heel locking. They are making hybrids. Now you'll have, you know, there's a couple of Solomons that look like Hoka's, but they fit a little bit better, but they're for that customer and vice versa. Yeah. And I think people are, you know, getting back to their core elements of, you know, Hoka is cushioning, Solomon is fit, Nike is, you know, heritage speed, Bill, Pegasus, 4%, you know, yeah. Michael Johnson, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Reebok running. I mean, for all the heads, you can remember like DMX um, and that cushioning system, but I don't know where they're at in the game. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, I, I, I think you and I need to revisit this on another episode because we could go on for hours talking yeah. about and I I really would actually like to um do uh episodes where I get you and Dan together and we can kind of just do gear check episodes yeah, where we could I just would love that because I just think your brain is so uh like important in regards to t- discussing 
trends, where we're at, where it's come from. I just, I, you know, I, I really always like love those conversations. Um, but I'll end the pod with a question we always ask everybody. For you, what is your runner's high? What is my runner's high? Yes. When I'm running down uh, this trail in um, Angeles Crest with my dog, got the AirPods going, listening to something, uh, the sun's going down. I can start to see the glow from Pasadena. And I just think I'm so lucky to be able to move my body like this. I feel like I'm flying. I feel like I'm in heaven. I, it's, it's my favorite thing in the world. And um, I think that I took movement for granted for a lot of my life. Sure. And not everybody has access to movement or can, you know, and it's something, it's like taking that feeling or sharing that experience, that runner's high, that moment when you, you know, you just feel like a hundred percent, you feel like a million bucks. Um, like how do you, how does everybody get there? How do we make sure, you know, people feel that and can access that no matter what the constraints or the scale is, is it wearable technology? Is it, you know, advertising? Is it community running? Like, where are we going next? Because there is something really special when you, when you feel a runner's high, no matter if it's, you know, on pavement, on the trail, on the beach, on a treadmill, on a Peloton, whatever the heck it is. Um, it is really special. And I think like, you know, developing methods for sharing that is something I'm interested in, in working on with windpipe. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll have all your links and everything in the description. Thank you, Chris and Mark. Um, I look forward to talking about more gear and more architecture while you're running in the future. Yep. We will get into all of that. And we have a new um, foot race in the future in conjunction with windpipe. All right, everyone have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye.